Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another Soothkeep live stream. We have Billy Crone with us today, pastor of Sunrise Bible Church in Henderson, Nevada, and the founder of Get a Life Ministries. I probably don't need to introduce him. Billy, welcome aboard today. Lee, hey, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, folks. We only have Billy for about 45 minutes. He's got to go. He's a busy man. He's got another uh, obligation. So let's just get right after it today. The subject is the rapture and UFOs. So, yep. Billy, first of all, what is the rapture and what is a pre-tribulation rapture? Well, the rapture, of course, is uh, just a made-up doctrine, and it's because us chickens, uh, I mean Christians, are uh, scared to go through the seven-year tribulation. Well, no, that's what the naysayer would have uh, everybody believe. Uh, but we base the rapture not from a guy named John Darby, uh, not from the uh, conspiracy of the Catholic Church. Uh, we base it out of, shocker, the scripture. And three main passages, of course, dealing with that, of course, First Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 talks about it catching away, snatching away, harpazo in the Greek of, of Christ getting his bride prior to him pouring out his wrath. And the timing there with First Thessalonians 4, when it talks about this catching away, the rapture, raptura, harpazo, snatching away, uh, it was right after First Thessalonians 1, talking about being saved from God's wrath. And then here comes the rapture, and then he reiterates it again in First Thessalonians 5, that again, we're not appointed unto God's wrath. Uh, you also see the rapture in 1 Corinthians 15 and also John 14, that Jesus said he's going to come back and take us to be where he is. So we got at least three different passages talking about this wonderful event, also called the Blessed Hope, uh, because it is a blessing. Uh, to know that through Jesus Christ, we not only get to escape from hell, but basically, if we're in the generation, uh, we're going to escape hell on earth, the seven-year tribulation when God pours out his wrath. Wrath is not for the bride of Christ. Wrath is for the world that rejects Christ. Amen. Now, was there ever a time in your life as a believer where you, where you didn't believe a pre-tribulation rapture? No, and frankly, you know, I came out of a completely non-church background. I was involved in the occult, uh, New Age, did about every kind of drug under the sun that you could think of, uh, seeker of the truth and all that stuff. And by the way, just to dovetail, uh, when I'm doing these altered state of consciousness, these psychotropic drugs, when I'm uh, communing literally with demons, uh, guess who also popped up? Space Brothers, UFOs, go figure. It's all from the same camp. They just relabeled themselves. You know, people don't want to believe in demons, so they just say, well, we're aliens. Well, it's the same thing. But anyway, but I come from an unchurched background. But when I uh, be got saved, uh, to me, it was a no-brainer. The love of God, certainly that he's dished out on me from what I was involved in, forgiving me for. Um, you mean to tell me that he's going to beat up his bride before he comes to get... It just, it just doesn't make sense. It never made sense. And, and I always just... Just hey, he's gonna. We're, why would he have us escape from hell out of love for us, and then he would send us to hell on earth? Uh, the seven years of ability, it, it never made sense. I, ne I never bought into that. Uh, and before I even could uh, demonstrate that early on, uh, as a Christian through the scripture, that he's not going to put us to that time frame, uh, mainly because of just the basic character of God and the love for his people, he would never do that. Well, do you have any books or uh, videos that you have done on the pre-tribulation rapture that you would like to share with the folks? Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a couple behind me <laughs> that were written over the years. Uh, but the main one, the, the one I call the Big Kahuna, uh, and I, I hesitate to say this because people might take it the wrong way. 
Uh, it's basically a dictionary on the rapture. Oh, cool. uh, and it's a, it's a book that I did. It's everything you can, I started from scratch, Lee. I just said, I acted like nobody's ever heard of this rapture thing. Where is it coming from? Uh, let's, let's get all the preconceived ideas out there. I don't care what your position is, including my own. Let's start from bare bones scratch. What does the Bible say? Is there even a rapture? And just moved on from there. And, but basically it's called the rapture. Don't be deceived. And that sounds like a great book. Oh, it's, I tell you what, it's one of my favorite resources. And he, you know, here's the irony. I, I never, honestly, I never planned on writing a book, uh, certainly not an exhaustive book. Uh, on the rapture. I, I really didn't. Uh, but what happened was really what the catalyst was, was a few years ago when I wrote it, I got a little bit tired of being falsely accused by the people out there with different positions, uh, whether it's a mid-trib or the post-trib or the pre-rathers who put the church in the seven-year tribulation. And they were, they were uh, vitriol. I mean, it was, I mean, it's not, you, you can't even agree to disagree. They, they were literally saying that I not only was a horrible shepherd, which, okay, whatever, you have your opinion. But then they went over the line and they started saying, I'm sending people to hell because I'm teaching the pre-trib rapture, which you can easily demonstrate from the scripture. And you're supposed to stick with the scripture. But then they would literally say, I'm not even saved. It's like, you don't even know me from Adam. And you're going to say, I'm not saved because I believe in the preacher. I said, okay, that's enough. And so that's why I said, all right, let's deal with you. You want to deal with this? We're going to deal with this. And basically in that book, what you're going to see is I start from the very bare bones again. Is there even a rapture? Is this really just made up, right? Where's this come from? And then not only the biblical evidence, but the church history evidence, because there's a big lie out there saying that this is a recent doctrine and it's a recent conspiracy with uh, 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 with uh, uh, Darby and things of that nature. We went over there on location. We also did a documentary on it. We went over there on location in Scotland and filmed where Margaret McDonald was and all this stuff. We, You, you want to play that game? We'll go there too. And so we exposed it. It's all a lie. And then they go, oh, well, it's, it goes even further back from that, from the, the Roman. No, it, it goes back to the scripture. But then we had it in the book. <clears throat> pages eight pages of historical sightings of the early church believing in a pre-trib pre-mill scenario eight pages right but again even if you wipe all that out i believe it because the bible teaches it that's the whole point right so we go through that then i catalog every single uh accusation false accusation red herring argument i could scour of these people who disagree with the pre-trib and i answered every single one of them uh uh philosophically biblically logically and then the second half of the book the documentary was the fun part because because we're used to that as pre-tribbers they're attack 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 you're heretics you you're evil you're not saved you're sending people to hell they're gonna they're gonna walk away from christ when they find out they've been left behind all that stuff that you i'm sure you're familiar with but then i said okay fine uh you put my position on the microscope and i think it came out squeaky clean according to the scripture Let's take a look at yours. And so that's what I did. I did reverse chronological order for the rest of the book. I did post-trib and then a pre-wrath, mid-trib. And then I even did partial rapture, which is another one that's unfortunately on the rise. And uh, we examined their position according to scripture, completely bankrupt, exposed the whole thing. And then I kid you not, even after all that, I ended it with this. Okay, fine. Even if after all of this, you still don't want to jump on the pre-trib camp. I tell you what. I don't know why, based on the biblical evidence, but whatever, I'll, I'll give you that space. A mark of maturity as a Christian is to agreeably disagree on secondary issues, yet not divide. Okay. Um, 
can you knock off calling me satanic and saying I'm working for the devil or I'm not even saved or I'm sending people to hell just because of pre-trib? Okay. Uh, can we at least agree on the fact that people need to be saved through Jesus Christ? And can you stop doing this in front of the world? No wonder they don't want to listen to us because you're doing this in front of the lost. Okay. And it's a horrible witness. And so that's how I kind of ended it. Great. I, I'm I'm actually looking forward to that. I hadn't heard of that volume of yours before, and I think I'm going to add that to my shopping list. Awesome. Now, when we come to the rapture, what is it going to look like? When the rapture happens, you know, we hear things like there's vanishings, there's chaos, there's panic. What do you see happening? Yeah, well, again, the Bible talks about it. It's going to be very quick. In fact, that's what harpazo, the usage of harpazo in the Greek there, um, that means it's a not just a snatching away, it's a, it's a quick snatching, catching the way. You know, you look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and it, it's, a, you know, in the blink of an eye, it's, just, it's, a, it's a very quick event. And so literally, people were there, i.e. Christians, true born-again Christians, were there one minute. Next thing you know, they're gone. And it's going to cause, logically, it's going to cause a mass panic on the planet. Now, here's where some people would disagree. Some would say, okay, well, after the rapture, uh, there might be a big giant pause uh, after that before we see the seven-year tribulation begin. Well, we can't be overly dogmatic, but I would say it's probably not going to be a very big pause. And part of it is because I think um, we know the goal. The goal is uh, the Antichrist is going to dupe the planet into a false peace, a false utopia. Revelation 6, that's at the beginning of that. He's going to make a peace treaty. Uh, with Israel, Daniel 9, 27. That's the event that starts the seven-year tribulation. So uh, there, what better time to dupe people to go along with a global plan to usher in a false utopia than after a time of crisis? And, and this is nothing new. This is what these globalists have been doing for years, right? You order out of chaos, right? You create a crisis, you manage the outcome. And so here's a global crisis. You got the rapture of the church, right? And you're just going to let that go to waste? Or could you add to it what Klaus Schwab and the gang have been warning us from, since their last World Economic Forum uh, gathering in Davos? And they said, we are headed for a time of polycrisis, right? That there's going to be many crises as we lead to this new great reset of the planet, right? And so then if you look at the occult, which I came out of, you look at the satanic visions of Freemasonry, which I'm actually teaching on right now uh, with Albert Pike and the gang, and who worships Lucifer, and they believe that Lucifer is a good guy and that Lucifer is going to lead us into a utopia. They actually picture the Antichrist as a good guy, and they actually picture a scenario like this. Imagine all of a sudden the world experiences a true, true global economic crash. At the same time, World War III officially breaks out in the Middle East. At the same time, major mega earthquakes erupt around the world. At the same time, another pandemic or scandemic or whatever has been launched, uh, uh, released across the planet, and people really start dying this time. Uh, at the same time, a nuke a couple dirty nukes in some big cities are purposely let off around the planet and then add to it a rapture scenario millions of people disappear at the same time uh, from the planet what are people going to do 
Lee, they're going to do exactly what they're psychologically manipulated to do. They will cry out, oh, please bring back, what's the phrase? Normalcy. I want to get back to normal. Bring back, I don't care who he is. As, as you heard uh, Spack in the, what, 50s, he said, hey, be he God or the devil, we don't care. Bring such a guy that can fix the planet. We'll worship him. We'll follow him. And so this is what the planet's waiting for is a polycrisis scenario, right, to dupe people psychologically in mass on a global basis to say, yes, let's follow this guy. He can bring peace to the planet. It's going to be a great time and things of that nature. And then all you need so there will be an antichrist scenario. Then all you need is a religious figure, right? Revelation 13, you got the antichrist and the false prophet, a religious figure who will work with this political guy, the antichrist, who will also dupe the people. You know, with something like this. Hey, don't worry about your loved ones who disappeared. Uh, as you can see, you know, we've just uh, came out of a horrible time of turmoil, but we got Mr. Fix-It here who's going to bring order out of this chaos. And uh, your loved ones uh, are okay. Uh, the governments have been hiding from you for a long time now about the existence of UFOs and aliens. But um, as you have probably already guessed, that yes, they're real. And see, that's what happened to your loved ones. They're, they've been beamed up by our UFOs and uh, spaceships that have been orbiting the planet, our space brothers who are here to help us in the time of calamity to bring a peace. And, and that might sound wild, uh, Lee, but two things. Number one, as you and I sit here, that's exactly what the Vatican and the Pope is getting ready to do, to be the official spokespeople for imminent disclosure, for when people disappear, to say that it was the UFOs and aliens, number one. Number two, and I remember this, and I still have the resources behind me in my office, in my library, of the New Age resources of channeled messages from these space brothers orbiting the planet. And you know what they're preparing people to think? You know what they're saying? They're saying, do not be surprised when perhaps in an afternoon, perhaps 20 million people disappear. There will be a huge shift in consciousness for humanity at such time. They're warning people uh, through the lies of the UFO Space Brothers uh, that people are going to disappear, right? They're, they're, they're explaining away the rapture of the church. And again, I don't base my belief on a pre-trib rapture uh, 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 from the occult. I base it on the scripture. But what I do find interestingly is when you listen to these liars, right, through these channeled messages, they're supposed to be from aliens, they're demons, but they're aliens. Guess what position they're always trying to explain away? It ain't post-trib. That's right. <laughs> it's always pre-trib. They're liars. To me, it's, it is very amazing that the testimony of science actually agrees with the testimony of the Bible, the testimony right. of archaeology and anthropology actually agrees with the Bible, and, believe it or not, the testimony of the occult world actually agrees with the prophetic scenario and the redemption scenario set out in the Word of God. Right. Yeah, they just think it's a good thing. They want it to happen. The Bible's only a book on the planet that says, no, that's the Antichrist kingdom. You don't want to be a part of it. That's right. Well, I was going to ask you this question, and maybe you'll go into it a little bit deeper. Because one of my questions was going to be, what are the odds that the world is going to use the uh, an alien incursion to explain away the rapture? I mean, in the past, they've kicked around a few other ideas. Mm -hmm. But it does seem like this one is the one that's leading the charge. Oh, absolutely. And that's why we uh, just released, uh, was it last month? 
uh, our huge documentary called UFOs, Aliens, and the Coming Mass Abduction. And we titled it that way, the book and the DVD set. We titled it that way because that's what the world, I'm convinced, is going to be told. It was a mass abduction. You know, I mean, didn't you watch the Marvel movies, the Avengers? They just flaked away. They just disappeared. The blip, right? You know, Hollywood's in on it, trying to, I call it pre-visualizing, helping people to explain away when you see people disappear. It was just like the movie, man. Don't you remember? I guess it's real. And so, but this, it's UFOs, aliens, and the coming mass abduction. They call it the mass abduction. And it'll be a mass abduction, all right? But it won't be from aliens. It'll be from Jesus Christ coming to get his bride like he promised. And so, but if you take a look at the governments around the world, you take a look at the behavior that's been going on for many years at the Vatican uh, and even the Pope himself. Uh, and again, where I came out of New Age and the occult, they're all gravitating towards that excuse. Now, a couple of different scenarios that we bring out towards the back end of the, of the resource. How could it go down? Well, one, you t it could be... Uh, a, a, a fake alien invasion through like a technology uh, like a project blue beam, which we go down into pretty deep. Uh, do they really have the technology to create these giant holograms? And, and, and then they would actually deliberately, you know, do things that make it look like they're invading the planet. And that's what happened to people. They got sucked up or blipped away or zapped away. You know uh, that's one scenario. Another scenario would be, and we bring this out, um, and I interviewed uh, people involved in the military who shared with me declassified information. And basically, the a lot of what I think that people call UFOs, Christian, non-Christian, whatever you want to say, I would put the number pretty high. About 95% uh, really is not a UFO as you think. It's really high-tech military aircraft from around the world. And we 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 demonstrate that now now just from that aspect, uh, and we we deal with the smaller aspect of five. Okay, what's that five percent that that's that's acting more spiritual in nature, not physical, because they're going sixteen thousand miles an hour and they make a right turn. Uh, if that was physical, you'd be road pizza, right? So so what is that? What is that thing? And so we deal with that in great detail. But just go back to the military aspect, based on what has been shared with me, Lee, and we bring this out in the documentary from the declassified information from these military guys we are probably 30 to 40 to 50 years behind the actual technology right if you wow. think some of the latest jets are the latest greatest are you kidding me add another 30 40 50 years to it that's really where they're at and so a lot of them are saying it is so high tech it's alien like what they really have so go back to is it a hologram and they'll use Project Blue Beam around the world and to dupe people to think it's an alien invasion. And, and <coughs> excuse me, that's what happened to those people. Or could it be, excuse me, <coughs> could it be high-tech government aircraft mm. <coughs> that when it does appear, it looks alien. It looks like a big giant triangle. It looks like a a disc that's able to use anti-gravity, but we assume that it came from outer space. No, it's military aircraft that is so advanced that it would blow you your mind away and probably freak you out and make you want to go crawl in a hole if we really knew what they had. And so, so that's another scenario, right? 
uh, that that people are looking at. But this is not talk. We we also expose. We have people, former FBI, CIA agents, and they're not even Christians. They're coming out, and we we expose the we share the interviews uh, in the book of the DVDs. They are saying this is what's coming. This is this is the last card. This is the last deception that the governments are going to use to get the planet to bow a knee to this great reset, this one world government, one world economy, cashless society, mark of the beast system, uh, to get the, the planet to bow a knee to that, to give up complete national sovereignty that we're all going to come to one. It's all a lie. Hmm. Wow. Wow. It's, it's interesting to think about the fact that the world in general is just oblivious to stuff that's that they shouldn't be oblivious to. But what's even crazier is so many in the church that read the Bible, profess to believe the Bible, and they're oblivious to this stuff. Well, it is because, you know, that's why even back to your intro, Lee, I'm going like, hey, right on, Lee. I mean, I saw you got stuff in there dealing with the occult, uh, which I've taught on for years. That's my background. And why do I teach on it? Because the pastor is supposed to teach the whole counsel of God, right? It's all over the Bible. Hello. You even had Freemasonry in there. I'm in my eighth week on free, Freemasonry, right? Why am I dealing with that? Because occult secret societies, all bad stuff, satanic organ. It's it's in the Bible. We need to learn it. it it's in the, I'm not making this up. And so if you're going to learn the whole Bible, you got you got to cover all this stuff. So, and all the things that you're having there, I'm going like, right, you're, you're, it's almost like Lee, you're trying to promote all the scripture, right? But see, that's <laughs> the game that's being played on today is, People aren't being taught all the scripture. I call it cherry picking. They're just cherry picking the fun stuff. And that's all you ever get. We are, we get reports from people all the time. You know, they say, man, man, it's just like the guy said the same sermon, the same milky sermon, just bare bones, basic milky sermon for the last 10 years, a hundred different ways. And that's all we ever get. They never advance. That's what's going on. Little let alone Bible prophecy, which makes up nearly one third of this book. So uh, you're not even given that. And it's even worse than that. I, I even joke like that. Listen, you don't hear about sin. You don't hear about wrath. You don't hear about backsliding. You don't hear about hell. I call that the silent H word in the church today. And so really, what are you left with? What, what are you actually teaching from the Bible? I joke and say, hey, apparently it's that last page over here where it says uh, the, the tables of weights and measures. I don't know if you can see that. Apparently, that's the only page they're preaching out of because it's stupid. It's crazy. And so what's happening is I'm not saying people aren't born again, but they're going to churches that are not teaching you the whole counsel of God. And so you are in the dark. I didn't say you weren't saved, but I will say this. I call that censored Christianity. That's right. How could you sit there as a born-again Christian and support that is beyond me. If it was wrong for them to censor us, during the last presidential election cycle, when we had suspicions about that election, <clears throat> right? If that was wrong, because it violated our rights to free speech. If that, it was wrong, that they censored us, when we had questions about the COVID pandemic, and they still do it, by the way, um, then why is it acceptable when you got somebody basically censoring the Bible to you? And you support that by your time, treasure, talents, and tongue. And I've been telling people for the last couple of years, very bluntly, if that's you, stop telling me. Oh, and they, they usually say this. Oh, I, I go to a good church. It's just that they don't teach on Bible prophecy. Stop. No, you don't go to a good church because that church is giving you censored Christianity. And how dare you support that? These guys would go belly up or change their ways 
if every born again Christian would say, you know what, I am not going to support censored Christianity anymore. If it's wrong for the secular world to do it, it's wrong for the church world to do it. And we need to get back to supporting churches that will teach the whole counsel of God. Amen. And you know, what's interesting about this, it isn't merely that 30% of the scriptures are prophetic with a large chunk of that still in the future. Yeah. But once you take the context of those prophetic passages, you begin to realize, wow, if you're wrong on prophecy, you're going to understand misunderstand more than half of the Bible because you also are talking about the distinction between Israel and the church. Yeah, exactly. The, the whole thing is it's, you know, it's, you know, the irony is these people who refuse to teach on prophecy or say they don't want to hear prophecy or whatever, they're actually fulfilling prophecy in a negative way. <laughs> right? Yeah, they are. Because in the last days, what did Paul say? He said, in the last days, they're going to, the church is the context. They're going to gather around themselves, multitudes, listen in the Greek, heaps and piles of them, of, of teachers who will tickle their ears and basically kinetho, only pleasant things, uh, uh, stories made up, muthos is what's going on. Uh, but it says they, they only want their selfish desires, right? They, it's all about self, me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. Which, by the way, it came out of this. That's the number one law of Satanism. Do what you will shall be the whole of the law. And, and so that's what the last day's church is going to look like. And it says there they're going to turn away from sound doctrine. And where I'm going from that is this. Eschatology, eschatos, last things, eschatos, ology, study of, study of last things, last days, future, Bible prophecy, that used to be a sound doctrine. It is a sound doctrine, but they don't want that anymore. They turn from sound doctrine. They literally say, I don't care, lie to my face. I just read this in Jeremiah. Was it Jeremiah 5, 31, I think? And, and God's rebuking Israel because he, he calls out the prophets and the priests. And he even said, and they're lying to you, right? Operating under your own authority. You're not sharing what God shares. And God says this. He says, and my people love it this way. They would rather be lied to. What a than... terrible indiction. Yes. And guess what? It's happening today. If somebody is going to a church service and you know you're not getting the whole counsel of God, you need to repent and get right with God. Stop supporting that. But if you keep staying there and you keep supporting that, then you know what? You love it that way. You want it that way. You would but rather I... be lied to then deal with the truth. God's but I've truth. told a lot of people through uh, emails, through chats, through comments on YouTube, they say, well, I can't find a solid Bible-believing church that teaches Bible prophecy. Well, th there's, there's at least 20, 30 people with massive churches, with massive YouTube presence on Sunday mornings. Tune into there. Invite friends over. Get a living yeah. room church going. But don't, don't stay in those churches that don't want the whole counsel of God. Right. And, that, and that's what we do. We've been doing the same thing. Lee. We're on the same page is we've been telling people, well, number one, you're going to compromise is never blessed of God. Ask King Saul. Right. He was supposed to do take care of everything there, but he rationalized. No, nah, I'm, I'm only going to do half of it. Right. And he left back some of the sheep. And of course, he gets rebuked by the prophet. Uh, what's that bleeding? I hear in my ears. Right. And, and he tried to rationalize it. No. Half obedience is still disobedience, right? And he lost his kingship over it and lost his sons and he died, okay? God never blesses compromise, right? He means what he says and he says what he means. And, and by the way, name one command in here that's bad for us. It's all good for us, including his nose. His nose are for, for protection. 
So if he says to do it, do it. Right. Yeah. And so, but these people are acting like somehow this is, this is bad news. This is not good news. It's crazy uh, with that mentality. But again, you can't support it. And so they say, well, I, I have no option. Yes, you, you're compromising. There's always an option. There's three options. And here's what we bring to them. Number one, drive. Really, a lot of it is people are, are lazy. They're lazy is really what it boils down to. I, we, I'm not saying we're the only uh, uh, healthy biblical church in, in Las Vegas. There might be another one out there. I don't know. But anyway, uh, but my point is, uh, even here in Vegas, you got people, uh, oh, I don't know. It's going to take me 30 minutes to drive across town to, to get there. I don't know if I can come here every week. What? We got people, Lee, that drive all the way up from L.A., a uh, four-and-a-half-hour drive. We got people that drive over the mountains an hour and a half. We got people that come out of state that come drive. And you, and, and you locals here who have it easy, you're going to whine because you had to drive 30 minutes. It's laziness. So, number one, you need to drive, right? Get out of the Church of St. Mattress with Pastor Ivy snoozing in the bedside sheets assembly, right? You're just being lazy. Get out of there, right? Number two, move. You need to move because there are still some faithful shepherds. So move. If it's too far, I get it. Hey, it's in another state. You can't drive there every Sunday, right? Well, move. Uh, what do you mean move? I'll, I'll never forget. I have one guy. We do internship programs. We, we train people for ministry. I've done that in every pastor I've ever pastored. And I had this one guy a couple of years ago. He said, man, Pastor Billy called me up. He said, I'm excited. Heard about your internship program. The work that God's doing there at Sunrise. And through the teaching ministry, get a life. And, and I just want to be a part of it. And he didn't just say, I want to be part of it. He says, God has called me to, to come there, to sit under you, to allow you to train me, to teach me for ministry. He's called me to do that. I said, great. Uh, when can you get here? Next week? And I kept pressing him. And you know what he said? And he's the one that was convincing me. God said this. God, I'm called to God. He said, well. He said, I got about another seven years to go uh, with, with my job. I think it was like a government job. And, and then, you know, he could, he could have his pension or whatever. I said, excuse me? You, you just told me that God's, we're in the last days. And you just told me, God, you can't, you can't, what? And see, and it reminded me, unfortunately, it, it broke my heart. It's like Jesus, when he rebuked the people who had all the excuses, when he said, hey, come follow me, what'd they say? Oh, oh, first, I got to go say goodbye to my family. Oh, oh, first, I, I got to go secure an inheritance, you know, money, make sure I got it. What do you say? You let the dead bury the dead. You just, you come follow me. If I called you, you come. And it, it just, and that's what people do. And so they come with all these, I, I can't drive, I can't move. Or I, yes, you can. Yes, you can, right? And then, and this is what we've been promoting. So you need to drive, you need to move. Or the third option is this, be the church in your area. Right. Uh, Amen. Start a home church. Start a home church. In fact, we have an email that we uh, declare every week. We email us at home church at getalifemedia.net and we'll do the teaching for you. Right. Because people say, well, I'm not a pastor. I can't teach. Or I don't know how to teach. Okay, fine. Through electronics now, you can, we got 12 years worth of material. Have fun. Like a kid in a candy store. Where do you want to start? Right. And you could watch it there. You can put it on your TV. We got an Amazon account a roku account you can watch it on your tv your big screen whatever you want to do make it conducive we'll do the teaching for you you just open up your home and lee we worked about 50 different uh home churches now um uh, all over the world not just the united states 
that have taken us up on that offer. So there's always an option. There's always an option. Drive, move, or what we say, if you can't find the church in your area, be the church. Amen. Well, here's another interesting question. You touched on this a little bit earlier, um, but we didn't go very deep into it. What is the real explanation for the aliens in the UFOs? Well, the real explanation is it's kind of, um, uh, it can go a couple different ways, but this is coming from the occult. This is coming from New Age, which I came out of. Uh, it's coming from some of the government insiders that say that they're going to use a fake alien uh, invasion. But typically what they do is they want to uh, spear, well, one, I'll do it with the one element first. The one element was basically saying that, uh, it, you know, it was kind of a negative one, uh, that there's, there's good aliens and there's bad aliens. And what happened to your loved ones before we could put down this invasion of the bad aliens, uh, the good aliens kind of helped us out with that. We put a stop to it, but it's collateral damage, right? Um, they, they got your loved one, right? That's, you know, that's bum news. And, but that's kind of a bummer, right? The other one, the more popular one that's out there. And again, I remember this back when I was in new age, this, the, they spiritualize it, right? And that your loved ones, you see, mankind is getting ready to make a spiritual leap in evolution. We're going to now spiritually evolve into a higher plane of existence, right? And, and what they do is twofold. They explain away those that disappeared as the ones, the Christians, who had a lower spiritual reality or vibration or understanding who weren't ready to be able to deal with the earth changes that are coming, including acknowledging other life on other planets and things of that nature. And so they're okay. They just beam them up to the ships and they're kind of like being rehabilitated, given more time to deal with it. But don't worry when, when they're able to handle the changes spiritually, then they're going to beam them back down. But, but so that's, so they explain away the rapture that way, that it's, it's a spiritual evolution that, that us, you know, fuddy duddy old fashioned Christians just, just couldn't handle. Right. But then at the same time, what they do is they run with it. And for those that are left behind, they make it sound like you're the cool one. You're the chosen one. But see, the reason why they didn't take you is because you're ready. You're higher spiritually evolved than those people, those old fashioned fuddy duddy Christians who were always, you know, a thorn in our side telling us everything was wrong and blah, blah, blah. Right. But you're a chosen one. And so what they do is they make those who are left behind. Think of that as a badge of honor, being left behind. When Jesus said, these guys are liars, That's Jesus right. said it's the worst time in the history of mankind. So, so it's, the, it's the double lie. Those who disappeared, they couldn't spiritually evolve with us, so we had to beam them out. They're okay. We're in, they're kind of like in our UFO holding pens for now. We'll beam them back down later. Don't worry. But for you who are left behind, man, get ready for utopia. Mankind, and then what? What's crazy is that's how the seven-year tribulation starts. Revelation six one, the white horse rider. It starts on a false peace, right? Mm. Those nasty Christians are all gone, and nobody's going to tell us that we can't do anything anymore. And it's great. And look, there's peace. He even made peace in the Middle East with Israel. They cut a deal. It's amazing. And and look at this. 
they're, they're promising us everything we need with this now global government. No more wars and all this <clears> stuff. It's a lie. And that's what the scripture says when everybody's what? Crying out what? Peace and safety, peace and safety. Boom, sudden destruction comes upon them like a woman travailing in, in labor. And, and that's what happens because right after that next white horse rider comes the global war and it's downhill from there. Now, I've heard it said that there's going to be a supernatural explosion after the rapture. Do you believe this yourself? Well, I, I, we do know that people are going to get saved at the rapture, and that's not the church. That's what's called tribulation saints. Yep. You know, and that's, that's a misnomer that we bring out in our, our book, uh, The Rapture, Don't Be Deceived, because people, they see the word they're saints in the seven-year tribulation texts. <gasps> see, it's the church. No, context, context, context. If I were to use the word cool, like, hey, this water I'm drinking, ah, it's nice and cool. Or, hey, Lee, I like your shirt. That's pretty cool. Or, hey, Lee, I'm wearing a jacket here in Vegas. It's pretty cool. It's only 60 degrees. Uh -huh. Anyway, <laughs> so, but, but it's the exact same word spelled the exact same way, but three totally different meanings based on the what? The context. So just because you see the word saints in the scripture, even in the seven-year tribulation, that doesn't mean it's the church. Do your homework. There's actually four different saints mentioned in the Bible. You got Old Testament saints. You got New Testament saints, us right now, the church. You got those that get saved in the seven-year tribulation, the tribulation saints. And then you got the millennial saints. That's right. So again, context determines the meaning. But these people, we know that people will get saved afterwards because at least three different witnesses. You got the 144,000 uh, male Jewish witnesses. Right, Revelation 7, Revelation 14. Revelation 11, you got the two witnesses, and then you got the, the, the angel that God sends forth to declaring the eternal gospel to the whole world to make sure that everybody had an opportunity. Right. So we know people are going to get saved. Now, people say, is it going to be in mass? Uh, well, if you look at the fruit of the 144,000 male Jewish witnesses, it talks about people from every tribe, language, nation, tongue. So, so there's going to be uh, uh, people getting saved um, uh, from around the world. I think it'll be a decent amount. Uh, the the sad thing is uh, the fifth seal in the first half uh, talks about how these people are going to be martyred like flies. That's right. And and, the, and that's the sad thing. You know, people will say, oh, it's going to be people disappear and they get saved by in mass. Well, maybe not as many as fast as we think. And I think that's because of the lie that's going to be dished out will qualm people's fears. Here's what happened to your loved ones. It was the UFOs, the aliens that beat them up. And here comes the Pope given that religious assurance. And then people won't equate it with the biblical rapture, God, Jesus, or anything. So I think that's going to lessen what could have happened. But we do know people will get saved. Now, here's the whole point, because you'll hear people say this. All right, I'll tell you what. If I see a bunch of you Christians disappear, then that's when I'll get saved. Really? You mean to tell me you won't get saved right now when it's relatively easy, but you're going to wait until you get left behind, thrust into the worst time in the history of mankind, and God starts pouring out his wrath on the planet. And the Bible's very clear that anybody that turns to God during that time frame, their head is literally going to be on the chopping block. The word that's used there in the Greek is sfadzo. It means to butcher, to flay like an animal. You mean to tell me you'll turn to Christ then? Stop kidding yourself. The whole point why God even to this day tells people the horrors of the seven-year tribulation is so that you don't go there. 
That's mm -hmm. the point. That's right. I'm not afraid as a Christian because I know I'm not going there because I am saved from, rescued from, and not appointed unto God's wrath. Romans 5, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 Thessalonians 5. Before and after the rapture passes, 1 Thessalonians 4. But if I have an ounce of compassion as a Christian, and I know this is coming, because, well, you'd think it was so horrible God would warn us. He's been warning us for 2,000 years. And man, he's got a lot of detail about it because he doesn't want you to go there. And he's made a way through his son, Jesus Christ, to escape it all. Right. Mm -hmm. So the point is, don't wait until you're left behind. Get saved now. We did a, a huge documentary. It's called The Seals, a panoramic view of the first half of the seven year tribulation. And, and we use the tagline with this seal for yourself a different fate. Not being a part of the seals, but receiving Christ as your savior now so you could escape the whole thing. Amen. Well, you mentioned a little bit earlier about the esoteric and the occultic things that are associated with the Catholic Church and how after yeah. the rapture they're going to come out and be at the forefront of leading the way and explaining, reconciling Christianity with the UFOs. Yeah, Walk us through this a little bit more. What have they been involved in and where? what are they going to be talking about when the rapture happens? Yeah. Well, it won't be Christianity that they're trying to reconcile because uh, Roman Catholicism is not biblical Christianity, not even close. They are a pseudo-Christian cult, <laughs> no better off than Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. Uh, and, and if people want more information on that, we did a 12-week study on Roman Catholicism that you could check out a book, DVD set, whatever, watch it online for free. And uh, But basically, uh, the Vatican and the Pope uh, for years have been promoters of the live evolution, right? And so they bought into this alien line, and, and we quote verbatim the Catholic Review, one of their big outlets and things of that nature, uh, quoting the Catholic astronomers. They have been in search of ET for years and years, and they admit uh, that they want to basically be the ones to making imminent disclosure. Mm. for when they finally admit that, yeah, we've been lying to you, the government's around the world. And you're going like, well, why? Well, listen to what some of their astronomers are saying. And again, this is in print. They believe that these UFOs and aliens, since they believe in the lie of evolution, they believe in the lie of the aliens. Uh, and we know that the whole alien thing is a lie from the get-go because what's the whole premise of UFOs and aliens? They're a higher evolved race from somewhere in the... Well, wait a second. If evolution's a lie, and it is, you just lied to me. Your whole identity is based on a lie. Where do lies come from? John chapter 8. From Satan. He's the father of all lies. So, But the Catholic Church promotes the lie of evolution. And so they believe that these evolved race of beings, UFOs and aliens, ETs, listen to what they say. They don't just say that they're out there in the universe. They say that they have not experienced a fall like mankind. And therefore, they're understood of, quote, the Godhead and the Bible and the gospel must be more accurate than ours and that we must prepare ourselves to receive a new gospel from our space brothers. That's wow. coming from the Vatican. And the Bible says in Galatians 1, Paul <clears throat> says, if you, he even says that, if you even heard from an angel, and that's what these are, they're fallen angels, demons, if they give you another gospel other than the one that was taught to you, let them be condemned, uh, let them be accursed is what he's talking about. And that's what they're promoting. They would even say that Jesus, they denigrate him. Well, yeah, he he got his powers. He was like a star child. 
you know, uh, he came from the ETs and all this stuff. It's crazy, Lee, but this is coming from the Vatican. And again, the Vatican, you got the Pope, a global religious figure. I'm not saying he's the false prophet, but I'm convinced he's working hard to get the job. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so here you have the two key players in the seven year tribulation, Revelation 13, the Antichrist and this religious global figure. And they're going to work together to dupe the world. And the Antichrist comes in on a false peace utopia after a time of crisis and makes peace, a false peace, a short-lived peace. And then here it just so happens that the Pope is promoting the same exact same agenda. Hmm. Look in the media. The Pope is promoting, and the Vatican, promoting that we need a one-world government. We need a one-world religion. Of course, they want to control it all, right? We need a cashless society. We need to have a universal payment, a UBI system that everybody can have a universal basic income, right? They're all for this, the same exact agenda, including the UFO agenda, and the Pope wants to be the one who makes that announcement. Well, brother, we've run up to 3.55. You're going to have to jump out of here in a minute or two. Why don't you just give us a closing thought? I will let you go, and I'm going to stay in the room, and I'm going to do the Q&A. Okay, cool. Well, hey, just real quick, encourage people, if you want more information, go to our teaching website, getalifemedia.com, getalifemedia.com. Uh, you could also search my name, uh, Billy Crone, and you can download our app for free. That's got basically 12 years worth of material you could uh, bore yourself with or do whatever you want to do with it. Uh, but please share with as many as you can. Time is short. We don't copyright our media. Uh, even if you get the DVDs, make a billion copies. We don't care. We got to get God's truth out. We're in the final hour. We need to finish strong. And if you are not evangelizing, shame on you. Get your heart right with God. Uh, we want to see as many souls coming to Christ. We do not want anybody left behind. That's what we need to be doing. Amen. Well, Billy, it's been a pleasure having you on here today. And hopefully sometime in the future, we'll collaborate again on a live stream like this. And if not, if I don't see you before, I will see you in Florida. Amen. Sounds good, Lee. Take care. All right, brother. Take care. All right. God bless. All right, folks. We have uh, let dear brother Billy go, and now it's just uh, myself alone. I'm going to take really quick, I'm going to take a one-minute break, and then I'll be right back, and we will go into the Q&A.
All right, I am back in the saddle, folks. So let me pull up the email with the questions. All right, here we go. First question, is it possible that the world will think that a real alien invasion is happening when we come back with Jesus in our new bodies? Uh, yes, I do think so. In fact, I think that's almost certain to be the explanation we see in Revelation chapter 16. Um, in the sixth bowl, all the nations of the world are gathered. The kings of the world are deceived. They gather all the armies of the world at Armageddon, so they gather at the right time in the right place to meet the Lord Jesus in battle. They know he's coming down from heaven, and I think they're going to present it to the world as this is an attempted alien invasion, just like so many Hollywood movies, except the ending is not going to be happy for the world. The ending is going to be happy for the Lord Jesus and for the godly. At the proximity conference today, they said that Ezekiel 38 starts before the rapture. What is my take? I personally believe, uh, along with most of my prophetic friends uh, and teachers, that I know that the Ezekiel 38 and 39 is going to happen after the rapture. The reason I believe so is that in that in those two chapters, God is owning Israel. As, as a people, he's revealing himself to Israel as his people. He's revealing himself to the world as the God of Israel. So he's sanctifying himself in a sense. So to me, this close connection with the nation of Israel is incompatible with the church age. So this has to be something that happens after the rapture. Now, um, I don't think there's going to be a really long window um, I suspect the window between the rapture and the start of the, the 70th week is going to be less than a year, may only be a few months. It could be longer, but that's where I'm going. I think the rapture could happen when we're seeing the, the groundwork laid for the invasion of Israel by Gog and Magog. We might see massive buildups of troops in Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, the surrounding nations. We might see massive... Uh, troop transports heading down that way. Um, we could see a lot of the stage setting for that before the rapture happens. Here's an interesting question. If there's seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls, and um, doesn't it seem like the whole thing has to be God's wrath? Um or is are they not wrapped? So, what here? What's interesting about this is, I think what they're going is if, if it's all the, the same, if it's all wrath, why not just have twenty one seals or twenty one trumpets or twenty one bowls? Well, I think there's, uh, if you notice, each of the series increases in its intensity, so that the the first the seals are introduced, the seals are lighter weight, the seals are things that um, except for the magnitude, they're very similar to what we're already used to seeing. And so the difference isn't in kind, the difference is in magnitude. 
But when we get into the trumpets, all of a sudden we got massive stones falling out of heaven. We have some odd things happening that are extremely unusual, that they're outside of the norm. When we get to the seven bowls, we've things are amped up again to an entirely new level. Under the trumpets, we have a third of the sea turned to blood. Under the bowls, you know, and, and we have a third of the water poisoned. When we get into the, the bowls, it's it's up from there. You know, the, the whole ocean, ocean is messed up. The waters are messed up. So you, you have uh, an increase in degree. Now, I'm not sure why he didn't just do 21 seals, but I think it's just he's trying to show that there's like a categorical difference between each grouping. Am I the only one who sees Trump as Mr. Mr. Fix-It? Um, I think, no, I think a lot of Americans see Trump as Mr. Fix-It. And if we're simply talking about certain points of economy and the border and strengthening the military, Trump is definitely Mr. Fix-It. However, if we're going to look at it from the perspective of actually doing America some serious spiritual good, I think Mr. Trump is just maintain the status quo. Uh, a lot of the Christians that he's got involved in his network of people that he's looking to for spiritual guidance are people that I would not allow in my pulpit at all, ever, for a million bucks. So are there any more questions? We did not actually have a lot of questions today. Oh, here we got some more. Let me see if these are the same or different. Oh, yeah, here. These are some more questions. Praise the Lord. Okay, what is the doctrines of demons? Well, this isn't a, a distinct set of bad doctrine. Um, this is it's actually what's going on here is all doc, bad doctrine is demonic. All bad philosophy is demonic. All bad ideology is demonic. And this is the doctrines of demons. And what people need to understand when it comes to spiritual warfare, your number one thing you need to be concerned about is not these overt demonic manifestations like possession and weird things that you see going on in the world, the UFOs and all that stuff. That stuff is outside of your own mind in your own heart, except for you're perceiving it. But when it comes to the doctrines of demons, there's lies that will defend your sin, give you an excuse for holding on to your sin. There's lies that misrepresent the truths of God in the Bible. There's lies that misrepresent basic things like marriage, the home, the distinction of the sexes. So we want to watch out for these lies. Um, all of these lies are taught to men through demonic powers, and then these men under the influence of demonic powers teach these lies, and they spread. When people embrace those lies, they're giving the demonic realm hooks into them, and so that e even Christians can be influenced. I've noticed over and over again that people that are generally moderate in their conversation and manifest a good deal of Christian character in almost all their life, and yet they might have one area where they hold bad doctrine. And when it comes to that bad doctrine and you have disagreements with them, they explode, and they unload. That tells you that they've embraced a doctrine of demons. 
anybody can have a bad day or a mad, a bad moment. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a character trait here. And when people embrace and hold and teach false doctrine, bad doctrine, for instance, just that that they're going to hold like a post-trib rapture, that kind of a teaching tends to warp people's character and warp their dealings with other people. I heard a pastor recently teaching that God does not have a bodily form like we do. Does this mean I'll never be able to look at or touch my father that I love so much once we're in heaven? Well, God is a spirit, so God is not limited to a bodily form. And I that this is how this is usually understood. That does not mean that he's incapable of manifesting in a bodily form. I want you to uh, bring yourself back in your mind into the Old Testament, back before the Lord Jesus was incarnate as a human being. And we have pl- times and places in the Old Testament where there was epiphanies, where God manifested himself to mankind. If you remember, the Lord Jehovah and two angels appeared to Abraham up on the plains of Mamre. He was in a bodily form. He was able to drink milk. He was able to eat meat. He was able to sit down and talk and hold a conversation. So God is not only capable of manifesting himself in a physical body, he does manifest himself in a physical body, and he will manifest himself in eternity. The Son now has forever um, embraced incarnation in a human body. Now, he's in a glorified human body now, but he is now eternally limited to that body. Now, the Father's not eternally limited to the human body, but he can manifest himself in a human body as often as he pleases, and there's nothing in the Scriptures or in common sense that says he can't. So, yes, you will be able to touch the Father in heaven, and you will be able to converse with him, laugh with him, eat and drink with him, and enjoy his presence and give him a big old hug. Do I believe that all children are raptured or just those of believers? Wow, this has become a pretty hot potato question. Uh, Personally, I am not convinced that every child in the world is going to go up in the rapture. I I don't know that that's wrong either. I'm, I'm just, how do you process a question like this? When Noah and his family were delivered in the ark, there was just eight of them. That's it. There, that, there was eight people. Um, all the kids in the world perished in the flood. And the kids in the world have perished in many, many uh, judgments since then of a minor degree. They've perished over and over again in wars. They've been exposed to Mormonism and Catholicism and Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam and all kinds of errors. They're born into that garbage, and it it destroys them. It leads them astray. It deceives them. It blinds them. So to me, I, what I want to see, and I'm open to learning this, where is the precedent in Scripture that the children are going to be removed? This is what I want to see. I'm not saying the position is wrong. 
Um, we can see a precedent in Scripture, I think, for the children of believers being removed um, with the believing parents, be because we see that the children are sanctified with one believing parent, and you can go down that path. There, there's at least something to cling to there. But but time is going to tell. We're going to find out. And I honestly wish I had a clear answer to this question. I simply don't. In the millennial kingdom, will our glorified bodies be impervious to physical harm? Absolutely, yes. You will not be susceptible to injury, to sickness, to decay, um, to anything of that nature. So if we get to the end of the thousand years and these group of rebels that gather against the Lord, if they throw rocks or sticks or stones at you or somehow manage to, to dig up an, an ancient hand grenade and throw it at you, you're, you'll be just fine. What do you think Earth's final population will be at Jesus' second coming? I wouldn't be surprised if the world's population at the second coming is right around the number that the New World Order people are aiming at, which is around 500 million. You know, they're settled, they're just stuck on that number. And that kind of number appears in a lot of the literature. So I wouldn't be surprised if. The demonic realm knows the actual number or the ballpark number that's going to be there, and they're using that same number for their own nefarious purposes. Okay, we got some more questions. Many people have been laid out to see in a horrible death, including those young ones in the flood. Will many of those be raptured who weren't of an accountable age? Well, this kind of comes in. Similar question that we had before, um, really when we come to the age of accountability, um, how is God going to deal with the age of accountability? We see in Scripture that, he, that there is such a, a concept it, when um, Jonah was sent to preach against Nineveh, and Jonah was, was like, Lord, why don't you just destroy the city and be done with it? And the Lord's attitude was, well, there's kids in this city that can't even yet tell their left hand from the right hand. So the Lord had a conscience about this matter. The, these children were not to the age of accountability. Um, now, many of these children not of the age of accountability died in the flood. That's a different question, folks, than their eternal state. Um, there may well have been people that died in the flood that will be in heaven, but there was only the eight that went through the flood on the ark. You have these kids that were not of the age of accountability. I think that people that are die before the age of accountability are dealt with on a different level than those that reach the age of accountability. Okay, Revelation 10, 7, and the mystery of God that was declared to the servants of God. What are we talking about here? Well, when we get to this section here in the book of Revelation, we're talking about the completion of the cycle of judgment. 
And so there is, not only is there the mystery of the church and, and the mystery of the kingdom in the Bible, there's also the mystery of iniquity. And this judgment, uh, the judgments in the book of Revelation are going to bring the mystery of iniquity to an end and bring in the era of the mystery of the kingdom. Why are dominion restoration doctrines destined to fail in the light of Bible prophecy? Well, really what this comes down to is a very fundamental question. In premillennial dispensationalism, which is simply taking the scriptures at face value, we believe that the, we are incapable of establishing the kingdom. We believe that the church in and of herself is not able to fix this world or clean it up. We are here to call men out of the world, to call them to repent and believe the gospel, and to follow the crucified, rejected Messiah in a world that crucifies and rejects those that follow the crucified Messiah. Now, the this is the premillennial position. Now, when we come to the postmillennial position, the kingdom dominion position, they look at the church's commission as very different. They think the church has a commission to, to save the world, to clean up the world, to fix the world, to Christianize the world doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved, but it does mean a high percentage will be saved and the rest are going to be obligated to fall in line. The difficulty is, is on a couple levels. First of all, we don't have a social commission. Nowhere in the Bible is the church given a commission to fix the world or to conquer the world for Jesus. The only commission the church has been given in the Bible is the gospel commission to see people saved and to teach them to obey all things whatsoever. This is the gospel commission, salvation and discipleship, to call men out of the world, to leave the world in its defilement, to leave the world to be judged. The world is condemned already. The world is already racing for judgment. God is not going to turn his judgment aside, and there's nothing we can do to convince God to turn his judgment aside. So they're on a complete wrong platform. They're trying to fix what can't be fixed by mortal man. They're trying to fix, they're claiming they want to fix it by the Lord. The Lord's already told us his way to fix it. It's when he descends from heaven, he tramples the winepress of Armageddon. He overthrows all the ungodly and all ungodliness on the planet. And he establishes by his own mighty arm and by the sword of his mouth, establishes his kingdom here on earth in righteousness. So really what, what we're, we're dealing with here, the dominion theology, folks, is not merely bad eschatology. It's bad ecclesiology, and it's bad soteriology. In other words, they don't understand the distinction between the church and Israel, and they don't really understand the gospel. They've watered down the gospel, they've added to the gospel, and they're completely messed up on eschatology. So they got three-fourths of the message of the Bible wrong. And the part that they got right, which is some conception of morality, they have a superficial understanding of that morality because they're looking more at the standards and they're looking less at the fact that those standards being met are worthless if you're not born again. 
So basically, they got three quarters of the message completely wrong and one quarter of the message half wrong. And there is completely a bankrupt approach to Christianity. Okay, why does God bind the devil, then release him, and then bind him again? Well, that's a very good question. There's, there is a reason for that. The, the devil is let loose on the planet right now, not because God likes to see people get beat up by the devil, and not because God is incapable of dealing with the devil. The devil's loose on the planet right now because in God's sovereignty, he sees that it's good for the believer and good for the unbeliever to have a struggle between the supernatural realm that's on the good side and the supernatural realm on the bad side. God thinks it's a good thing for every believer to have that moral exercise, to hear the truth and to hear the lie, to hear the true gospel, to hear the false gospel in the false ways, to hear about the true Messiah, to hear about the false Messiah, have that internal tug of war in your heart and to choose one side or the other as the whole human race is separated. That's why the Lord allows the devil to run free. Satan is not able to um, attack or deal with any believer beyond what he's been allowed by God to do. So if the devil comes against you and attack, you can trust that God has drawn lines and said you can do A, but you cannot do B. The devil can't touch you unless God has given him permission. Now, once we understand how this principle works, when we come into the thousand-year kingdom, the, the devil is bound in all of his uh, henchmen, and we have a thousand years here on earth when we've got an ideal king and an ideal government and an ideal economic system and an ideal educational system, and we have all the greatest preachers from all the history of the church and all the greatest teachers and preachers from the Old Testament, and they're all preaching the message of God in the kingdom. They're all part of the government. They're all part of the education. They're all part of the religion. And so we're going to have a thousand years of relative peace. Now, when we get to the end of the thousand years, there are still going to be people here on earth who are not born again. and. The Lord wants people to be separated over clear tests that are publicly obvious. So, for instance, during the tribulation, mankind was divided by a very clear test. You either took the mark or you didn't take the mark. Very, very clear test. Now, when we come into the end of the millennium, there's going to be a very similar test. The Lord's going to let the devil go loose for a little while amongst society, and man's going to be divided again into those that want to attack Jerusalem and those that are content, happily content, with the king who reigns in Jerusalem. So man will have a very public test once again to separate the world and the godly and the ungodly, but this is the last test. At this time here, fire comes down from heaven, will destroy all of the ungodly. And then we're going to have the great white throne judgment, and we will go into the eternity. This, this is the end of gospel preaching. This is the end of the opportunity for salvation. There will be no more work of that nature for all of eternity. 
then we're just going to go off into a future where all there is to do is to enjoy God and to enjoy the fellowship of those who enjoy God. How is Israel at peace in the first three and a half years of tribulation when the rest of the world is not experiencing peace? Well, I think that things are going to be very similar all around the world. At first, there's going to be relative peace for everyone. Uh, we see, in particular, a covenant of peace that the Antichrist forces upon Israel. Israel embraces it. But I think that the Antichrist is going to bring a, a false lull into the world, a false peace. But everything is going to break loose around the world. There'll be wars and rumors of wars very quickly. Uh, we're going to see this in the second seal where a great sword is, is brought to bear upon the world and pieces taken from the earth, and that will affect the entire earth. It won't just affect some nations and not others. If a Christian is going to a Christian church and that church th starts supporting the alphabet uh, morality, does the Christian lose their salvation? Nope, absolutely not. A, a real Christian cannot lose their salvation. That's impossible. You might as well uh, pause it if it's possible for God to lose his morality. It can't happen, and a Christian cannot lose their salvation. Now, a Christian can lose reward. If, if a real Christian continues going to a church after they've gone belly up on the alphabet morality issue, uh, that Christian is disobedient. Um, it might be that their disobedience is, is more on the side of rebellion on their part. They're just, they want to stay there, or it might be that it's more on the part of just lack of biblical literacy. But either way, the Lord wants believers to leave the, the apostatizing churches. It is my understanding that we already have the kingdom of God and we're waiting on the kingdom of heaven. Um, and the second part of the question is, why does Luke tell us to seek the kingdom of God? So there's a little bit of confusion here. Folks, I always go for the simplest solution. Uh, this is what they call Occam's razor or the elegant solution. The, the simplest solution to a theological question that actually answers all the difficulties is the right one. The fewer the moving parts in your theology, the better. Now, I look at the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven as the exact same thing. They're just looking at it from a slightly different angle. The kingdom of God is looking at the fact that it is God ruling in the kingdom and not ruling providentially, but actually ruling here on earth. The kingdom of heaven is that the environment down here on earth is on the same grounds that the environment in heaven is operating on. So they're the same thing, the same time, the, the same set of people, the same rulers, the same ruled over, the same king. It's just looking at the same thing from different angles. Uh, this is very similar to, in the scriptures, we uh, have the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. And some people want to make a categorical distinction between them, and the day of Christ is only the rapture of the church, and the day of the Lord is 
judgment on the unbelievers. And I think this is a mistake. Um, they refer to the same period of time. It doesn't matter whether we're, we call that period of time the day of Christ or whether we call it the day of the Lord, because uh, the day of Christ emphasizes the deliverance of the believers, and the day of the Lord emphasizes the judgment on the unbelievers. But this day starts with the twinkling of the morning star. It continues with the dawning of the day upon the world, and it can uh, ultimately issues in the sunrise of that day at the second coming. Um, and if we're looking at it from the dawning of the day of Christ or the dawning of the day of Messiah, we first have the deliverance of the church, then we have the deliverance of the Jews through the tribulation, and then we have the deliverance of all of creation and all of mankind that's left at the second coming. If we're looking at it from the day of the Lord perspective, uh, the rapture is the first judgment that happens to the world. Basically what it's saying is, you missed it, you're out of luck, you were not saved, you rejected the gospel, and then we have the dawning of the day of the Lord or the dawning of the tribulation upon the world. That's in judgments increase more and more until we get to the second coming where the day of the Lord comes in its full fury and wrath upon the world. So we got the morning star, the dawning of the day, and the sunrise, and then the millennium is the glorious day of the Messiah or the glorious day of the Lord. Do you think a person who says something in regard to throwing the Bible against the wall might need to change their attitude to the precious written word? Oh, absolutely. Um, we, we definitely, definitely want to have a heart of submission, a heart of meekness, a heart of humility, a heart of belief, a heart of faith to the Word of God. And if something in the Bible makes us angry, then we need to have some serious heart dealings with the Lord. Yay, we got some more questions. Fantastic. During the tribulation, where do the Jewish people go after they are killed or die before the final judgment? Well, I think they're going to have the same experience we have right now in the church, absent from the body, present with the Lord. If you recall, uh, when we get to the fifth seal in the book of Revelation, there are the souls of those who have been martyred who are under the altar in heaven. Because we're already into the seals, this this is this can't be the church. The church is already glorified. We already have our resurrection bodies. So this has to be um, um, Old Testament saints and tribulation saints um, that are under the altar waiting for the rest of their brethren to be killed. So the souls, the spirits, are in heaven waiting for the for the day of vengeance and for the resurrection. When is the Florida conference that you spoke of? All right, let me pull my calendar up. That is the Orlando Prophecy Summit. It starts on Thursday, the 29th of February, and it goes through... Um, the 3rd, Sunday the 3rd of March. And that will be in Orlando. I believe it's, you can just type Orlando Prophecy Summit in the scriptures or go to the uh, Prophecy Watchers website and find the links. It'll give you all the details. 
are we only in heaven during the rapture uh, and then on earth during the millennial kingdom and, and never going to return to heaven? Great question, but it's actually got a great answer. We will be in heaven for seven years of the tribulation, plus however long that window is between the rapture and the start of the 70th week. We don't know if it's weeks, months, or years. We will be down here on earth during the millennium. But however, I do believe that the glorified members of the body of Christ will have access to heaven because the Father is still going to be in the new Jerusalem during the millennium. And I don't believe we're going to go a thousand years without seeing the Father. I think that we'll have opportunity to go back to New Jerusalem as often as we please. Now, when we get to the end of the millennium, folks, the the difference between heaven and earth is going to be marginalized because the New Jerusalem is going to come down here to earth. Now, whether it physically sets on the ground um uh, or whether it's just going to be hovering a little bit above the ground or hovering a mile or two above the earth, I got no idea. It does come down to earth. That is crystal clear. And at this point, now I, I personally, I suspect uh, that it's actually going to be on earth because the gates are going to be open and the people will be able to go in and out. You You wouldn't have that opportunity if it's hovering over the earth, but some people hold that view. Now, Heaven comes to earth at that time. The Father comes down here to earth. He's now amongst the believers here on earth for all of eternity. So we have the presence of the whole Trinity, the indwelling Holy Spirit, the the physical presence of the Son, and the physical presence of the Father. So, in other words, what's going to happen is heaven is coming to earth, and earth is going to have heaven on it. The heaven will be Uh, in the narrow sense, the city of New Jerusalem, and in the broader sense, the entire planet of Earth. And this will be the center of the universe for all the rest of eternity. What can I or we do to hurry God up? Great question. Absolutely nothing. The, uh, The day of the second coming was determined before the world was created and man was created. God already had his plan laid out. And the day of the rapture was set in concrete at the same time. That that day is appointed. It's a it's exactly seven years plus an unknown number. So it's exact to him. He knows that number. We don't know that number. So we don't know if it's seven years plus a few weeks, seven years plus a few months, seven years plus a year, or seven years plus two years. We don't know. But it's set in concrete. And we absolutely cannot speed it up or slow it down. The only thing we can do is occupy until he comes. In other words, be occupied in his things until he comes. Will people know the seals and bowls are of God or evil men? Well, they're eventually going to figure out that all these judgments are from God, and they're going to hate him for it. Now, they're still going to be living in the unbelief that this is the almighty God creator of the Bible. They're going to be living in this fantasy that he is a supernatural being on, a, on an evolutionary level, not a supernatural being on a biblical level. And so they're going to think he's an advanced alien being that they can defeat in war, and they're going to prepare for that. So they're going to be living in that deceit and rebellion. 
Will immortals be invisible to mortals during the thousand years? Nope. We're going to actually be living down here amongst them. We will be the government and the police force of the planet. We will be ruling and reigning with the Lord Jesus. And that will be the church who's the bride of Christ. And that will be the Old Testament saints in the tribulation martyrs who are also going to be here on earth in their resurrected bodies. Besides Yeshua himself, what biblical character would you want to interview on Soothkeep? Oh, wow. I mean, I would love to interview uh, Noah, Elijah, Paul, John. There's a whole host of them. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to meet them and interview them in glory. God can commit genocide justly, can't he? Well, here's the, here's the rub. Genocide, the way we usually use it, is a pejorative term only. It's negative. Uh, there is no such thing as good genocide. So if we're going to run with that understanding of genocide, God cannot commit genocide. He's not capable of it. God is only capable of just judgment. Genocide implies injustice and unrighteousness, and God is perfectly righteous. So, for instance, when the flood was brought upon the world, that flood came upon the world because there was two problems that were completely intertangled, and the world was such a chaotic Mass, he had he absolutely would, had to judge the world, or he couldn't bring the redemption to the world that he wanted to bring. And and those two problems were the world was filled with diabolical immorality and wickedness and iniquity, where men was willfully rebelling against what they knew was light. The second problem was the gene pool of virtually the entire planet had been defiled. And God was forced to start over. Now, in the gene pool being defiled, if you're not understand this, this is the Nephilim issue that we see in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, where the sons of God and the angels, some of the angels in rebellion against God, came down to earth, cohabited with women, and we had beings living on the planet who were half angel and half man. Now, a lot of people struggle with this because they can't scientifically figure out how that could possibly happen. Folks, to me, that's a secondary point. The Bible says it, and I believe it. So this is why the, the flood had to come. The, the human race, was their bloodline was tainted. So, the, and also when the Lord uh, brought the Israelites into the land of Canaan, we had the same issue going. The Canaanites had two problems going on that were the same problems prior to the flood. They had the mingling of this half-human, half-angel bloodline was mingling into the Canaanites. Some of them were full-blown Nephilim uh, that were half-angel and half-man, and some of them were lesser degrees of angel, but they had that mingling in the Canaanite peoples. And the, the Lord decided that had to be removed. And so he sent the Israelites in there to slay a man, women, and child. They weren't as faithful as they should have been. But this was not genocide, folks. This was righteous judgment upon the results 
of ungodly iniquity. Okay. Can God be accused of committing genocide uh, as considering the narrative about Joshua taking the promised land? Well, we just kind of covered that question. It's not genocide to judge the world in the flood. It's not genocide to put an end to the insane rebellion of the Canaanites and and the ungodly mixture of humankind and angelkind that was in the land of Canaan. By the same token, it's not genocide when the Lord comes down from heaven at the end of the tribulation and everyone that's still alive is separating the sheep and goats and to slay all the goats. This will not be genocide. This will be righteous judgment of the ungodly. Will the lake of fire exist for all of eternity or will it disappear once the Lord has finished filling it? Great question. Uh, there's a great answer. The answer is the lake of fire will exist for all of eternity. We read in the scriptures about those that spend eternity in the lake of fire, that the, the smoke of their torment will ascend forever and ever. We also read that they will um, be in torments day and night forever. So uh, this is definitely an eternal transaction. People are not going to just burn up and cease to exist. You have to have moral uh, compatibility between the blessing of the righteous and the judgment of the unrighteous. The righteous get eternal life, and the unrighteous are going to get eternal judgment. The believers get eternal life. The unbelievers get eternal judgment. How do post-trib rapture believers explain the need for angels, the two witnesses, and the 144,000 witnesses during the tribulation if they believe the church is still here? Well, they have to uh, have confused theology. That's the only way they can do it. They don't really understand the clear distinction between Israel and the church. They typically mingle Israel and the church uh, for, for this present age. And because they don't really understand the pilgrim testimony uh, versus the earthly economy, they, they already have the earthly economy mixed into the current church age. So they're already operating on a confused basis. They come to the tribulation and they're still operating on that confused basis where they have the earthly economy mixed in with the heavenly economy. For us, it's it's a very clear thing. We know that we are not called to fix the world. We know that we are called to call men out of the world through the gospel. We know that we're not operating on earthly economy principles down here in the church age as far as the church goes. So when we look at that stuff in the book of Revelation, we say, aha, this is really different. Uh, this this means the church can't be here. But because they operate on a confused understanding of the church, they don't have that aha moment when they go to the book of Revelation. Are we supposed to vote? Folks, you are not under any divine obligation to vote, and you are not under any divine obligation to not vote. You need to understand that. You have freedom as a believer. 
Now, you do have an obligation as a believer to maintain a testimony of righteousness in this world and to do what you can on your own limited little sphere to to stop the spread of ungodliness and iniquity. Now, we know we can't stop it on a national level. We know we probably can't stop it on a state level. We know we're definitely not going to stop it on the world level, but we can slow its work in our own local spheres, uh, and, and that slowing may not do anything except give people opportunity to hear the gospel. But we have an obligation to be that salt. We have an obligation to be that light. And so let's just go let our little light shine. And voting is one of the ways you can do that. Okay. If once saved, always saved is true, what is James saying in James 5.19? Let's pull James 5.19 up. James 5.19. Boy, I love these uh, easy-to-use e-Bibles online. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Well, I know that when I was a young believer and I was in falling away circles, this verse uh, was one of the verses I looked at as proof that a believer can fall away. But there's passages like this, folks, that need to be associated not with losing your salvation, but with passages like in 1 Corinthians, where uh, and where there's judgment in the local church, and passages other places in the Pauline epistles where there's judgment in the local church, and in Matthew where we have judgment in the local church. Um, you can have uh, people should be put out of the fellowship of God if if they are living in impenitent sin, and they should be put under church discipline. Now, some people under church discipline refuse to repent, and those people are under the judgment of God. They could fall under judgment. The the Bible says, this is why some of you sleep. Ananias and Sapphira were put to death because they sinned against the Holy Spirit. And they these were people that were in the church, they sinned against the Holy Spirit, and God brought them to an early and untimely death. So I think that that's what we're talking about in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. If a believer wanders back into the ways of sin, he is risking early death as a judgment from the hand of the Lord. The Lord is going to maintain the integrity and the purity of his testimony. Something's been bothering for a while. Do you think that Lucifer broke God's heart? Well, let me, this is an interesting question. God obviously has emotions. We are made in his image and we have emotions. However, we're not wired exactly identically. Now, I think that God was grieved when Satan and his angels rebelled. And he was definitely grieved when mankind rebelled. He's grieved when every believer falls into sin. He's grieved, tremendously grieved. But I don't think God is capable of having a broken heart. Do I know how Pontius Pilate died? 
You know, I don't know if I do. Let me pull up my Bible thing here and do a search. Let me search pilot. I don't think it's in there. Okay. I I don't see anything in the scriptures on how Pilate died. So and I don't recall I'm I know I've read several historical accounts and I don't uh remember the details. Wow, we got some more questions yet. This is great. Does God lift the veil on them at the end so they understand the wrath? Um, I think you might be talking about the uh, second coming. Um, Definitely, they're going to know and feel the wrath. I think ultimately, every person is going to have to bow before the Lord, bow his knee, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, confess that they sinned against light that they knew is light, confess that they want walked away from they knew what was right path and that they loved the darkness and they're going to understand the justice of God, but they're still going to be mad about it. They're going to have an intellectual admission that they are wrong, but their heart will never surrender to admit that they're wrong. Well, how can a believer lead an adult person with special needs to Christ? Um, about all you can do, if this person can't speak, um, and so you can't really have a conversation with them, uh, oftentimes they can nod or grunt. Some of them are able to use like these cool little iPad things where they can point to words or point to answers. But... Um, you you can read the scriptures to them and pray for them and, and just leave them in the Lord's hands if you have nothing else to do. How do we know without a shadow of doubt we are saved? This is for all of those of us who feel unloved and have low self-esteem. Well, these eternal security questions are can be perplexing to a lot of people. We have to start with the fact, the Bible says, all who come unto me I will in no wise cast out. We have to accept the fact that it says in John chapter 10, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. And this isn't for those only that are manifesting the the Christian victory at the highest levels. This isn't for everybody that's manifested some average degree of Christian faithfulness. This is for every real believer, no matter how much they struggle. Um, We have to stand on this ground or we're actually forsaking the gospel of grace. Now, you run into other questions about um, people that make a profession at point A and a few years later, they've never really sought the fellowship of the believers and they've never 
really developed the prayer life. There's never been any real evidence that there was a real salvation or a real conversion. Well, that's a completely different question. We're not talking about those class of people. We're talking about people who who do have a, a, a desire for the things of the Lord, who do have an interest in the Word, but who are struggling with their, their acceptance. And, and I just want to encourage you folks, just trust the Word of God. Don't trust your emotions. Um, one of the best gifts you can ever give yourself, don't buy yourself a new car. Don't go buy yourself your dream vacation. Buy yourself some confidence in the Word of God. And let me explain what I mean by this. So you, you need to trust the Word of God and not your emotions. Your emotions are going to lie to you all the time. Nothing is more common than people having this emotional fear that something really bad is going to happen, and then it doesn't happen, or when it happens, it's only 10% as bad as they thought it was, or 20% as bad as they thought it was. And nothing is more common than people to get all puffed up with these feelings of how God's going to use them in a mighty way, and then when God doesn't use them in a mighty way in the next three months, they get mad, and now they're going the other direction. They were moved by emotions of, of pride and elation, and now they're moved by emotions of anger and frustration. Folks, just flush your emotions, your severe emotions, down the potty. Just ignore them. When, when I have those kind of emotions come upon me right I, I just, I rebuke them in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I'll walk away from them. My emotions lie to me all the time. I just live by the principles and teachings of the Word of God. And eventually your emotions just come back and gravitate towards a nice average middle. Now, that being said, enjoy the feelings of happiness when you have it. Just don't be married to them. And if you have a season where you're feeling sad, then feel your sadness, but don't get married to it. Um, the only thing we're married to is the Lord Jesus Christ in the Word of God. Where do believers that get saved in the thousand-year reign go when they die? Great question. They're not going to die. If someone goes into the millennium born again, they will never die. They are going to live for the entire thousand years and then continue on into eternity. If someone's born a hundred years into the millennium and saved when they're 20, then they are going to live for 880 years to the end of the millennium and go on into eternity. So the only death in the thousand years is capital punishment, according to, I believe it's Isaiah chapter 65, where. Uh, the child is going to die at 100 years, and and in that context, there's parallel statements, and you're going to see that the ones dying at 100 years are the people that did not submit to the Lord. They did not believe in the Lord. There's capital punishment in the millennium. You reach 100 years of age, and you're not born again, that's it. You're out of here. If you had 100 years to hear and believe the gospel and to see the glories of the king, to see the glories of the kingdom, to have all that light from all the greatest preachers in all the history of the world, and to hear from the mouth of the Lord himself, and you still don't want to be born again, well, that's it. Your chance is up, and you're out of here. All right. We wrapped up the questions. 
So we have gone on now. We started at 3. We are nearly to 5 o'clock. So I'm going to wind things up here, folks. I want to get ready for supper, and I got a few evening things I need to do. Thank you very much for tuning in again. Uh, I hope you appreciate the program with Brother Billy. I'd love to have him on again in the near future. I enjoy that brother's ministry and his wisdom on the things of God immensely. And I truly appreciate the fact that he has delved deeper into the occult and to the secret societies uh, than virtually any man on the planet. I only know two or three believers that belong in the same conversation as he on those subjects. So, folks, take care. Have a wonderful evening. And we're going to see you another time.